What, do they think we got three Rod Brandemores or what? I think I started lifting real light weights when I was like 12. listening to the rod the podcast with your hosts jordan betts and mike men all right guys we're doing something a little different tonight um producer stevens left us high and dry uh technological geniuses jordan betts and michael mayer here um solo flying on the pod without help Let's see if we can do this in one take, because if we can't, I'm not sure it gets done tonight. <laughs> uh, if it sounds terrible, it's because uh, I've tried to emulate my little brother. Yeah, and I, I'm about as good with technology as I am at pronouncing European names, so uh, <laughs> I'm useless. Uh, tonight should be a fun episode. Uh, a lot going on here in Kane's land. Um, tons to talk about. Got the draft, got the Angelo trade, free agency opening up tomorrow at noon. Um, a lot of rumors flying around. Man, I mean, right off the top, where do you even go? Do you want to go with the draft real quick? Yeah, I think we just go touch on the draft really quick and go from there. I don't think there's a whole lot to say about the draft. Typical Kane's draft, hot drafting guys that have a high ceiling, low floor, taking risks. Um, obviously, they went for... The commodity that they felt was least respected being Russian players with everything going on in Russia. So, I mean, pretty typical Canes draft. Yeah, we covered it very briefly coming into the draft that, you know, not going to be a whole lot to report unless there's a significant trade uh, because Canes didn't pick till 60th overall. As you mentioned, Canes in typical Canes fashion, uh, spotting a market inefficiency where a lot of organizations were scared to draft Russian players. Canes come out, draft four of them. Um, high upside, you know, potential players that, hey, they're, they're taking a gamble on the fact that a few years from now that maybe the um, political circumstances uh, in Russia and Ukraine are, are not uh, where they are now. No, no telling with uh, Vladimir Putin at the helm, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And we're not here to go on a political diatribe. But I think the real story of the – oh, well, I will say I listened to Adam Gold's podcast. The guy from Central Scouting thought it was a really good <laughs> class. So – you heard it here second. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the real story of the weekend um, is obviously the Tony D'Angelo trade uh, sent to Philly for a 2022 fourth rounder, a 23 third rounder conditional. Uh, as of right now, Philly has three third round picks. It'll be the latest of those three of those three third rounders uh, and then a 24 second. So win now team trading way on this team would have been a first pairing D-man, uh, number one power play quarterback uh, for futures. I mean, right off the rip, it, it feels a little, uh, well, any return for an RFA is not bad typically, but it feels a little light for a uh, win now team. At least it, it getting futures doesn't equate to, um, you know, that winning window, so to speak. So what are your thoughts? Uh, and then I'll jump in second. So from what Don said, they weren't able to get to a dollar amount that made sense for them. 
it sounds like they valued him as like a third pairing defenseman and a power play quarterback. I think they're looking in the high threes, maybe willing to go to the low fours for him over a two year period. They obviously didn't see him as the guy, um, even with his production last year. I think they feel as if Slavin plays a big role in success of his partners, which I understand. Um, they seem to think that there are better options that would fit into their system, that would fit in with Slavin out there. And, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you don't want to be trading away guys that can help you win, but if there is a replacement out there that makes the team better and you can add some draft capital to help you build your team, um, I, I'm here for it. But it, it really depends what the organization is able to do to recoup that talent. Um, if you look at a team like Tampa Bay, one of the biggest drivers of their success was their a- ability to draft and develop. I think within the last, I think last year, nine out of the ten players that led them in scoring were drafted and developed within their own organization. And when you look at something like that and you see the longevity it creates, you understand why drafting and taking risks and going for the high upside players and why drafting a lot of players is really important. Um, You have a better chance at hitting. You have a better chance at stabilizing your lineup for for the present and the future potentially. And, I mean, you just look at a simple item like the Jarvis pick, right, where you get it because you're willing to buy out a salary. And, I mean, sometimes, sometimes those things turn out, and who knows? Yeah, I think Seth Jarvis is going to be worth more than the $6 million you Absolutely. paid for that pick. Absolutely. And who knows if if a second-rounder in 2024 helps you win in 2028, right? I mean, you never know when you're going to find a Jacob Slavin or anyone like that. And right. so these it, risks it, are are good in the long run. It, it very much feels like in hey, I, there's going to be a few paradoxical things I say here that are kind of talking out both sides of my mouth. But the organization from the very top definitely feels like they have a long range view on all things, and sometimes that's frustrating as we enter into this, you know, as we're in this winning window where. Um, We've talked about it numerous times that it's kind of like from this point forward, you have two years and then the core is going to cost a lot more money. It's going to be a complete shakeup. So when it comes to Tony, um, I, a guy produced, I think we kind of early on in the offseason took it as almost a foregone conclusion that it would get done. He would um, feel some semblance of hey, I, not that I owe the Canes, but hey, this is a place I want to be. They took a chance on me. I got to rehabilitate my career. And Carolina would just be able to buy low. Um, maybe the market seemed to be a little higher uh, on him, you know, hitting that $5 million threshold, and the team definitely didn't want to get there. But something, you know, you and I have talked about that I, I love to harp on, it's like the organization, and you'll see this on Twitter a lot too, Canes Twitter, all about this. It's like, well, Jacob Slavin makes... Tony D'Angelo or Jacob Slavin makes Dougie Hamilton so much better. Okay. We have Jacob Slavin. Yeah. (laughs) He got to play with Jacob Slavin and they were an excellent pairing analytically production wise, basically by all metrics. So regardless of 
talent-wise, if you view him as a third-pairing D-man and power play quarterback, he just registered, albeit playing with Jacob Slavin, a right-handed, a first-pairing right-shot D-man season in the upper half of the league. Well, all the numbers would indicate he is, should be valued as that. I understand you have your own metrics and your analytics, but at the same time, I, I think we get a little, the organization gets a little hung up on measuring analytics versus tangible production. And it's almost like they're trying to play 3D chess. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, uh, when he was traded, and I'm not the biggest Tony D'Angelo fan ever, but I thought he brought a lot of good things to this team. I immediately text Mike, and I'm having flashbacks of last offseason. I'm going, I'm in full pessimism mode. Like, it just, hey, and I've taken a step back, and it's like, hey, we said they deserved the benefit of the doubt last year, and ultimately, when they pulled it all together, it was good, and it actually clicked. They don't think the way other organizations do. So it makes it hard for you or I or anyone to prognosticate on the fact that what they will or will not do. I'm just sitting here going, you opened up another massive hole. You don't have that much money. So I think it's going to be a really good dialogue tonight. Let's sink into the fact that on a superficial level, it sounds like we both agree, you know, it's good to get something back for Tony, but it's a lot more concerning, you know, with free agency open up tomorrow that you've you have this massive gap in your first pairing uh who's going to play with Jacob Slavin and we need to lose this notion that it's true Jacob elevates whoever he plays with but someone's got to play with them so someone's going to get elevated that person has to produce yeah I, I would agree with your sentiment my my thoughts on that in regards to Slavin I think the organization has been playing this game where they're shuffling the deck because they like bringing in a guy. They like allowing him to take that next step while he plays with Slavin, but they don't want to pay that guy a bunch of money to when Slavin's contract runs out. Well, now we're in a tight financial situation to keep Slavin, and God forbid you lose Slavin, no pun intended. <laughs> but think about it. You don't want to have to have Slavin walk because you signed Dougie to eight by eight. Sure, you don't but, want... but, but isn't that the point with my Tony? Point and we don't a... know if he would have accepted that, but doesn't a two-year, five million... He produced at a $5 million level. Two years makes it very palatable because it lines up with sure. the rest of the contract. And that's what I'm concerned about. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but what I'm concerned about is, and we're going to get there, I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, okay, you're going to play... Klinberg, it's probably going to be five, six years. You know, Brett, bring Brett Burns in to hire AAV, and it's for three years. So yeah, this was kind of like the low-cost option because I think it's going to be really hard to replace that player without surrendering your assets that they typically have not surrendered, and they don't love to dip into free agency. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. You're, I mean, I think, I think the reality is, is that they brought him in. They knew that he would probably have a good enough season do you think maybe like this is the redemption tour? Maybe this is the best you're seeing out of Tony right now. It could be true. It could not be true. If you were able to keep him at a price where you could add another skilled defenseman, and then we're talking about Tony maybe playing third pairing defensive minutes where you don't have to rely on him as much in big defensive situations, and then you have somebody that maybe complements Slavin in more of a defensive fashion. And I think that when they thought about it, they're like, we can't, 
we can't invest that money in a guy that we think is literally a power play quarterback that has the ability to occasionally move the puck well. But at the end of the day, when it comes to playing defense, Slavin can help make up for a lot of it. But we want a guy that turns Slavin and X into a more shutdown pair. And that might not be some of the guys we talk about tonight that could be his potential replacement. But I think the organization is going to keep rolling the dices until they find that guy. And then once they find that guy, maybe they lock him up. Maybe it's one of these draft picks that have just been accumulating over the last five years. Maybe it's Scott Morrow in a couple of years. Maybe they think right now we need to find cost-effective complementary pieces that allow us to make adjustments along the lineup or we need to find a guy that we think is going to be able to play with Slavin four, five, six, seven years. Because Slavin, that's, I mean, he's what? We got 28 now. So, I mean, he's at that, he's in the peak of his career. You find, find somebody that matches his age. That's fine with me. I don't care. Like, find the piece that you want with Slavin or we're going to continue the recycling order. And I don't think they thought Tony was that yeah, piece. Yeah. Clearly they didn't. And, you know, I've also seen a lot of response online that, hey, you brought Tony in. He was a million dollars. He had a really good season production wise. Whatever happened in the playoffs happened in the playoffs. But you were able to flip that for three draft picks. There is value in that. I mean, that is winning as far as playing the market value game. We like to call it like almost buying and selling socks. I mean, they yeah. they killed him. It's a great move from that perspective. But how does it make you better heading into the 2022-2023 season? Obviously, there's going to be a corresponding move here. Um, you know, it's not like they're just going to bring Jalen Chatfield up and put him in play. Absolutely. It's like, and I, I alluded to this previously, but it's like the types of players they have been rumored to be in on heading into tomorrow is is Klinberg appreciably better than Dougie? Is he appreciably better than Tony? Um, I would say he's almost without question, at least I mean, now that his numbers have fallen off since 2018, he, he's not on Dougie's level. Is he offensively pr- probably offensive? not? No. no. And they're they're analytically they're very equivalent defensively. Maybe the Canes internal analytics have him better. We'll never be privy to that. Um Tony had some warts defensively, without question. But it's almost like the price point there makes it, you know, it's easier to stomach. And if they're in on Klinberg, which they are, the rumors, everyone basically verifies that they're in on him. They've been in on him. Is Klinberg going to take a Keynes-type deal to be here? And, you know, that's going to be something in probably the $6 million range because I – I assume he's going to have a chance to get near eight on the market. You know, is eight the ceiling? Probably uh, because his play has deteriorated. But it's a 29-year-old about to turn 30 that obviously has a high pedigree and has scored a lot in this league and has been a really well-rounded player. Um, It's just not, in my opinion, if they go out and pay him six times six, it's really not good asset management because I don't think that contract ages well. Um, and if you're him, cause you were saying this, it's like, well, he wants to go to a winner. Well, if you're looking over a, a six year scope, I mean, in the league standings basically flip at that time. So it's, it's not like his 
coming here guarantees success. I almost view that as a uh, window closing move more than a window sustaining move. Yeah, I mean, this all boils back to the draft pick thought process, right? Because you have to assume that the way the Canes have been drafting for the last four or five years now, that we're going to start getting these names that we're not necessarily expecting to have made the jump when we drafted them years ago, right? And these guys are going to be guys that jump into the lineup, play on ELCs, and those are the kind of players that allow you to have a Klingberg making $6.5 whatever it may be. I think in regards to Klingberg, I think he's obviously a different player than Dougie and then Tony, but I feel like Klingberg is almost a little bit of Dougie meets Tony. I think Klingberg's got the offensive skill. I think defensively... I feel like I'm. I think he's an acceptable defender. I feel like, like Dougie, though, there he's more positional than anything. He's not like Dougie can't move. That's Dougie why can't move, Dougie is but he's, positional. Yeah, the, the biggest asset compared to Dougie is he's a way better skater. Well, and there's also a really big aspect of Tony's game that makes him successful is lack of fear and is preparement for the big moment. And I think that was a huge knock on Dougie is that when things got tough in the playoffs, you could see him go into his shell. I don't think Klingberg is a guy that goes into his shell. And if you're looking at I also don't think he's a matters, presence either. Yeah, I don't think, but I don't think you need it's a presence. It's funny because Tony's easily the smallest of all of them, and he's the biggest sure. physical presence. But I don't care um, about worse, throwing hits anymore. No, no, you worse, know I mean? worse positionally. It's just I, I worry that he's a little more in that Dougie phylum of a finesse player, you know, Call it the the trade rumors or not, but Tony ran him a couple times this year when they played Dallas, and Klimberg Clint, didn't step up to that. Had wanted no part of it, and hey, they they were Dallas was what they were. They're battling for the playoffs, whatever. He was clearly checked out in my opinion, but um, it's a good player. I I just worry, you know, if I was going to pay Klimberg seven, I just would have rather kept Hamilton and had more. You know, be able to dictate well, the sure. terms a little more. Yeah, that's man. That's one of obviously the discourses, and I think that it really comes down to, I think mentality is a really huge part of it, which is part of the reason why people took to Tony. I mean, we've got people. You and I can both agree that Tony is a far inferior defenseman to Dougie. I okay. think that's yep, obvious. No I think the offensive skill is pretty similar. I Comparable, think Dougie's yeah. got Dougie's a got bit more, more natural talent. Yeah, Tony was agreed. productive though. And has always been productive. Yeah, and so I think, I think at the end of the day, if Klingberg is a guy they go for, they obviously feel confident that he is a good enough defenseman to where he's not going to leave Slavin out to dry. He's good enough offensively to where he can run a power play one and create offense at five on five, and that he's got enough mental strength to endure the toughness mentally and physically of the playoffs. And I, I don't think he's a guy that's scared to hit or get no. involved. I've seen I've seen Klingberg throw the body around. I've seen him stand up for teammates. I don't think – I think out of him and Dougie, I think the physicality and mentality part definitely weighs heavily in Klingberg's favor. And the question is, and it's a topic for discussion, is how much does that matter come playoffs? Yeah. Can you win with a Dougie Hamilton being your number one defenseman when you feel like – you lose part of him in the playoffs. Um, very fair question. It's kind of what we spent most of the all season talking about last year. Uh, with, with Klinberg, maybe, maybe he the best way to describe it, he's the blend of the two. Even though he's you know has shades 
uh, probably a little more closer to Hamilton, but I think that's a really good way you framed it there. I, I just, so it's going to come down to cost because it, to me, if, if you are extending him for, you know, five, six, seven years at, you know, near market value, oof, I, I, I get really concerned. Uh, but very talented guy and, at the end of the day, we want good players, right? Like, yeah. we want good players. We, we've talked all offseason that the ceiling of this team needs to be raised. And without question, he is a better overall player than Tony. It's just cost, but um, I don't think it's cost prohibited ever to bring in good players. It's just that that pipeline needs to start coming to fruition. You need to see guys starting to get into the lineup because you need players on ELCs. You need cheap, cheap guys that can reduce. Um, and despite not having any really name brand high level prospects, the Canes uh, farm farm system, I guess it's still in hockey, um, is consistently ranked in like the top five in, mo- in most places. So they're coming. You know, the two Calder championships in the last four years, they're, they're coming. It's just you don't you can't always guarantee it's going to translate. Um, I, I I just think that there was something really symbiotic about the. Uh, two years. It, who knows what the negotiations were with Tony, right? Carolina clearly is not willing to go to five, but if they could have got him at two years at 4.5 per, I think that's a slam dunk. We'll never know. Um, overall, there's a lot of compelling options. We talked a ton, ton about Klinberg. Uh, one that kind of came up today that I find very appealing because uh, he's you know former Norris winner, a guy that clearly has some dog in him and will will play that game that you want to see in the playoffs and has scoring punch. Uh, talking, of course, about the bearded wonder, Brett Burns. Uh, ironically, sounds like he wants to go to Dallas, which after talking about Klinberg is ironic. But um, what are your thoughts on Brett Burns? And do you think that deal can get done? He's got currently got three years left at uh, $8 million per, uh, but only $5 million of cash, which always sounds good to ownership. Yeah, so he's what thirty-seven right now. The big concern thirty-six or he's about to turn thirty-seven. About, okay, so the obvious concern with Brent Burns is age. He has the pedigree. Even last season, he still produced. Um, it's a curious one for me. There'd have to be a significant amount of retention on San Jose's end for it to be worth it. He has pretty much total control over where he goes. I believe it's a three-team trade list, and it sounds like from reports that Dallas was very high on the list. Uh, Nashville sounded like they were pretty high up there. I haven't seen hey, anything. Hey, add another Southern team to the list. Yeah, okay. I don't think we're quite Nashville <laughs> or Dallas, but I mean, hey, I think that there's potential there. Um, that The age scares me a little bit because you're talking about a window where, I mean, this dude, by the end of his contract, is going to be basically 40, right? Basically 40. So it's just, it's curious. Hey, let's use everyone's favorite cl- crutch, though. Playing with Jacob Slavin should Abs- yeah, no. relieve some of the stress. If you can get 80% of what Brent Burns was at his prime, then I think he'd be a very good addition. If you can get what will probably be a year and a half of high-level production, it makes it worth it. Because even if that last year you're overpaying him and you're basically playing him on your third pairing and he's still running the power play, it's fine. Absolutely fine. Um, to me, what we're talking about in the now D'Angelo replacement really comes down to term more than anything else. Like 
hey, if they got Klinberg to come in and they wanted to pay him $9 million for two years, whatever, do it. Um, I wouldn't agree with it, but that makes more sense than a six times six, which we've seen floated. Um, Brent Burns, I just... In losing Tony, you lost a little something, right? A, a little of that intangible dog in your face, willing to step up. Like, he's a big guy. You, you just need some people with presence out there. And, and that's my concern about Klinberg. Is the ironic thing is, of Tony, Klinberg, and Dougie, Dougie leads that group in hits <laughs> per year. Then Klenberg, then D'Angelo. But who would you say was the most physical one? Yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, Tony. Um, effectiveness, that's another question. But right, right, right. Totally different thing. But yeah. just Tony, know, physical. Tony well, Burns and, is and also not a guy yeah. that racks up hits, but he's physical. Like you know, pre- yeah, it's the, like you said, it's right. presence. It comes down to presence. presence. Um, and I think that more than anything else is what Carolina is missing. You have Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, all outstanding NHL defenders, especially Slavin and Pesci, and especially Jacob Slavin. But none of those guys, when they're on the ice, is a domineering presence that strikes fear. You know, you brought in a Yanni Hockenpah a year ago, was like third in the league at hits at that time. Eh, whatever. Not that guy. Um, Joel Edmondson. Edmondson, you know, a little bit. Obviously, the person that we're talking about is not up front in this group, especially if you lose another big body and you know who who doesn't really throw hands, but he'll play a little dirty game. Um, I think they need to replace that element more than anything. And if you can do that by also adding a high school guy and Brett Burns, Brent Burns, that is just, that just clicks to me. I I, I don't know. I, the cost probably isn't going to work out. They're probably not going to take as much of the contract as you want and signing an old or bringing in an old player is just anti this organization under Dundon, but it's fun to speculate about. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a bad option. I think it's just, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously between the necessity for San Jose to retain salary between Brent being willing to come to Carolina, um, the age being a big factor. It's, you know, it's one of those ones where I could see it going really well and I could see it going really poorly. It just depends on what, version of Brent Burns you get now with that being said I would think that like you mentioned you're going to get at least one worthwhile season and maybe two and maybe you know and maybe it's worth it at that point um I don't know that's a curious one to keep an eye on um I don't know what the cost would be at that point you'd be doing San Jose a big favor because well, they it probably are, comes down to how much you're asking them to retain right that's yeah I mean but, at but the then end, again yeah. we I, I I was under the impression that San Jose was um you know in rebuild mode, and then they signed Thomas Hurdle to an eight by eight point one, and I was just like, "Well, that team, yeah." Wolf. Hence, hence the new general manager with that team. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a very curious sight what they do from here on out. Um, they're in a really terrible position with those three contracts being Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and then Mark Edward Vlasic. I mean, they are throwing a ton of cash at three old defensemen. Um, yeah. And then even at the forward position between Couture and, and hurdle, I don't, I, yeah, 
and they give out a lot of no. Not great, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> not great. Not great. So we'll see what they do. I I don't think they're in a position where they're going to be competing in the next three years. So I don't think that retaining salary is that much of a a negative for them uh, in the short in the short haul. Um, but we'll see. Uh, it's a curious it's a curious point to keep an eye well, on. Well, two more defensemen I want to talk about as potential D'Angelo replacements, um, one of which was definitely rumored uh, earlier today as well. Um, but I'll throw it on to you, Jeff Petrie and uh, or and or Mackenzie Weger uh, from Florida. Yeah, so Jeff Petrie is – we've been interested in him for, it seems, a couple years now. I think when we initially were interested in Shea, I think Petrie was in the mix for us as well. Um, another aging defenseman. Um, I think obviously he'd be a decent compliment to Slavin. Not sure he brings the game that Brent Burns does. I think the physicality piece for Jeff Petrie would be good. Um, the reality is, is whoever they're going to bring in, it's going to be very interesting because it's going to change the dynamic of how this team plays. I think, I think a Mackenzie Weger, that's more of a cap crunch for Florida and he's got one year left on his deal. He's also 28, I believe. Um, sneaky old, older, sneaky older guy. That's going to cost a lot, uh, in his UFA year. So you're really looking at a rental player cause I don't see the Canes acquiring him and then being able to pay top dollar in the UFA market, which is probably why Well, they, they haven't shown any desire to. So yeah. why would we expect that to change now? Well, and I don't, I think there's going to be less competition on the trade front for that reason as well. Teams that are looking to improve could literally wait if they're willing to pay the guy to retain him. Why would, why pay assets up front when you can wait a year acquire him because a lot of the teams I think Ottawa has been heavily linked with Uyghur and I think they have a potential to be a playoff team next year but they're not winning a cup next year so why would why would you spend assets on Uyghur when you can make a pitch to him once your team's improved over a season sign him as a UFA so I, I think the trade market won't be as hot I think it'll be a lot of teams that are contenders that see one year 3.5 million for a solid defenseman um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I think that one would be a much slower burn. Um, cause it's really going to depend if a guy like Giroux is still around right. to go to Florida and, and by all, you know, everything I've heard, they like him. It's just, they yeah, don't know they if don't, they can yeah, fit they can't him. Afford so, yeah. uh, if they're able to keep Giroux, you got to subtract money somewhere and he might be the, uh, unfortunate odd man out, uh, but that'll be someone else's gain. Okay. You ready to pivot to the forwards? So I tell you what, we, we've done pretty good here in our, our predictions, uh, but let's talk about some names real quick that are no longer available. Uh, Alex Dabrikit traded from Chicago to Ottawa. What in the world? Chicago, whatever. Um, Fiala obviously was traded to the Kings. Forsberg re-signs in Nashville. Nashville. Um, those were the, the big headliners. So we're, we're down to a few of the names we talked about last week. Uh, we just referenced Claude Giroux. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, apparently it sounds like he's going to test the market tomorrow uh, for the first time in his career. Uh, Andrew Kopp is out in New York. Obviously, he's still floating. Uh, JT Miller's potential trade target, uh, Patrick Laine, um, and maybe Jesse Pularvi. But there, there's a lot of names we're floating, uh, and we'll come back to one we've talked about a decent amount in the past in, in Vladimir Tarasenko. But let, let's start with uh, Giroux. Yeah, I mean, Drew, like we've mentioned in the past, is going to boil down to where he wants to be. He 
seems to really want to win a cup. Um, he's also been a guy that's been linked with Ottawa, I believe. I believe that's his hometown or where he's building a home or something along those lines. So I think Ottawa is somewhere that he's looked at for that reason. Is Man, this they, they get him. They ain't going to play any defense. They're, they're going to score, score a lot. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, if Giroux does that, I see that as more of a retirement move because I don't see them competing for a cup while he's Not in still, his window. while he yeah. still is an impact player. If he decides that it's the cup or nothing, I think he's got a short list of teams that he'd be willing to go to. I think the Canes have expressed serious interest in him. Um, like I mentioned on previous podcasts, I think that Drew is a big fan of Rod. So I think that helps you a little bit. Um, I think that there's a chance it could happen. Uh, we'll have to see how things shake out. I don't think the Canes are going to be able to give any of these UFH top dollar, even if your oh, name they is... Don't yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to. Even if your name is Drew. And I mean, unless you're willing to take a two-year deal, I think that's going to be something that the Canes probably aren't aren't willing to look at. To this point under the Dundon regime, what are like the absolute certainties? They don't go to arbitration. They'll move you before, you know, they'll get assets instead of paying a contract they don't want to pay. Uh, they don't pay top of the market. They don't like extending older players. You know, they they are more willing to explore trades for guys with term which for them i think is important because it guarantees cost certainty so in that prism um Giroux only makes sense if he does a short deal because he already ticks one of those boxes as a, a veteran player where they typically would not sign a deal like this but there's been rumors that they're in on him and that's another guy that they're in on another guy that you mentioned before it even came uh for it was known that Carolina was in on him is of Guinea Malkin. So take another victory lap where you're still hot. Yeah, I just think Malkin's been something that Canes fans have have been talking about for a long time, whether seriously or not seriously. And I mean, there's always been a little bit of speculation about can can will Pittsburgh trade him? Will Pittsburgh let the guy go? And blah, blah, blah. And they've come to this impasse. Um Originally, when we started talking about Malkin, we were thinking that he would be interested in a shorter-term deal, but it sounds like one of the big hang-ups originally was term. I think he was looking for three or four years. And then the dollar signs are also pretty big. Um, when you think about the Malkin contract, is he going to be willing, now that he feels wrong by the organization, to go somewhere, maybe take a little bit of a better deal in order to win and prove to the organization that they made a mistake and let him go. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure the guys won cups. Um, he's been very successful. Whoever does get him is going to get a very motivated player. Right. Because, Which we know for him is a huge on off switch. It's, yeah. it, it sounds like, do, do we view these things individually? I, I kind of think they aren't, but it almost seems like the Latang contract negotiation and subsequent signing, um, kind of shook up things because pre-Latang, you're going, okay, maybe Malkins links his deal with Crosby and goes three years, maybe he'll go even shorter, you know, higher AAV where he pockets one more time, one more cha ch attempt to cha chase a cup in Pittsburgh. But all of a sudden you extend Latang, what, six by six until he's 41 years old. And, and if you're Malkin, you're going, you know, what the F, man? Like I, I've been just as integral, if not more integral to your success than Latang. Um, I'm your I'm your number two guy, you know, behind Crosby. Everyone, and then all of a sudden you, you don't come to me. And hey, there's been health concerns, there's been motivation concerns. Um, 
I think at a human level and a sports fan level, it's kind of a travesty if he gets out of Pittsburgh. I know I expressed that sentiment last pod, but um, I felt like he was a higher probability a, a week ago when we chatted just because it seemed like, hey, if you go high AV, but short term, you could get him, which I think is within the realm of possibility for Carolina. If Malkin wants four by or you know four years, it's a non-starter. And so if that's where we're at, I don't even think it's it's on the radar anymore. Uh, obviously, a situation we're monitor because there's not too many more high-impact players, even at his age, uh, than Evgeny Malkin. But the third guy I mentioned, Andrew Kopp, uh, from formerly of the Rangers, uh, is apparently going to hit the market. It feels kind of like if you were going to sign Kopp, you just would re-sign Trocek, in my opinion. Trocek's maybe going to cost a little bit more, but uh, I'd rather dance with the devil you know than the devil you don't. Yeah, I mean... Cop's going to be the cheaper of the two options for sure. Um, he's a Swiss Army Knife player, just ability in all zones. A good player. I enjoy the way he plays. I think that he would fit in on multiple contending teams. I mean, I, I don't hate the possible addition. I'm not sure that that's a guy the Canes are looking at super hard. But at the end of the day, there's a ton of guys that, are now looking to be in the market that are two C's, whether it's, I mean, you've got multiple Stroms hitting the market now. Um, <laughs> I mean, so how did, how does Chicago not even qualify? Yeah. I'm not really sure. Like how you don't see that as an asset you could flip after a season, especially for a guy that had a really good second half of the season. I mean, last imagine year. going into blatant full tank mode in a lottery league. Like, you're not guaranteed to get Connor Bedard. You know, it's not like the Jags going one in fifteen and getting Trevor Lawrence. Like there's, there's no guarantee. Like Yeah. I think the the only reason why this draft would be worth tanking for is because I think it's a exceptional draft if you can land one or two. If you end up with either Bedard or Mitchkov, you're getting a superstar. Right. Like Bedard considered a generational talent. I mean, you could probably even throw Mitchkov in there as well. Um, McDavid Eichel type deal. Yeah, I think, I mean, if Eichel didn't get injured and right. continued to progress the way he's progressing, I think both these players would fit that caliber of draft class. And even if you land three, there's still some really, really, sure. like you're still getting basically a number one overall but, pick. But we, and those two guys are expected to be exceptional, super high end players. But as much as you hear it every year, like, oh, so that's what we're hearing now is the 23 class is supposed to be great. Well, they said that last year about the 22 class. Like it's there's always hyperbole this far out because you really haven't sunk your teeth into the next class yet. You know who the top guys are, and that kind of sets the uh, barometer for oh, this is where we believe the entirety of the class is going to be. But th there's no guarantee. They're they're 18. To, you know, two years ago Shane Wright was slam dunk 101. Wouldn't even have thought about it. You know, he goes fourth. So um, having spent time in professional sports. You know, sometimes that 17, 18, 19-year-old kid that you project to be the guy, it just doesn't happen. Uh, and hockey's been pretty fortunate that your generational players have been. But, I mean, to trade Alex Dabrinkit for seventh overall and, and a, a second is just like, man, like, what are we doing here? Like, it, it's too much of a gamble to reset this hard to me. You should still be trying to collect, 
collect as many assets as you can. And I, I just believe the asset management in Chicago has been abysmal. Oh, I mean, it's been bad. They're going to be totally judging on if these picks hit. They obviously felt very strongly about the guys they drafted, and they went a little bit off the board for some people. And if you feel very, very strongly about it, I mean, this is going to be what defines his, sure. his role. It doesn't and, mean you're wrong. Yeah. People have bashed, you know, when um, – Stevie Y took over in Detroit. They they pat, bashed the Schneider pick. I mispronounced his name. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Moritz. Yeah, Moritz. Um, you know, and, and Raymond was maybe even a slight reach. Like, these two guys are, are dominant. Now, yeah. Stevie Y had a bit more of a track record <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, all-time great player himself. But, yeah, we're going to find out. It, it's probably not good for the league holistically that one of your bigger markets coming out of a pandemic like Chicago is tanking out this hard. Uh, I've heard that has dismayed some of the uh, small market organizations and owners, but uh, that's not our problem here on the podcast because yeah. we only cover it. Yeah, no, I think yeah, it's it's uh, a very curious situation. I don't think I can recall recently a team doing it as aggressively and blatantly as Chicago has done it. My hope is that they finish last in the league and they draft seventh because I would find God, that. that'd be hilarious. I would love every second of that. Um, don't worry. The league will manipulate it. They'll pick first. But um, Okay, moving into some potential uh, trade targets. Uh, how are we feeling about JT Miller? I, I know Carolina, surprising. Take on this before we get into JT Miller. Uh, feels like there's a lot more Canes rumors from big media right now. That makes me think that it's all not real and they're just speculating and trying to connect dots because Carolina has pretty, you know, noticeable holes on a contender. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it that whatever major moves Carolina does make, cause I fully do believe that they will. Um, cause like I promised, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but they're going to be none of the stuff that uh, big media is predicting. Probably not. I mean, there might be one that hits, but I think it the might be. media prediction that's going to come correct is P.K. Supon. <laughs> our, our prediction. From the podcast zone, <laughs> Mike May. Yeah. I mean, I think there could be a decent amount of posturing going on by the Cans organization right now. Uh, I think by showing teams that you're in on a lot of people, it kind of takes the handcuffs away to where another team feels like you have leverage. So maybe maybe it's a posturing routine that they think is going to help them. But that's a really good point. It's almost like the old expression, if you're friends with everyone, you're friends with no one. Like yeah. we're in on everyone, so you're really in on no one. So no one can really predict what you're trying to do. They really are the hardest team in the league to predict their, their moves and counter moves. Uh, I love to describe it as they're playing 3D chess, and I'm just over here thinking with like traditional pro sports mind. Yeah, they they certainly have a game plan that they have set out. And I don't know what they have as like the end game for that. I don't know if their original end game was like, yeah, we're happy to be competing right now. But there's certainly a window where they think they're going to have maximum competition. And the further we get into this, the more I'm starting to feel like Ajo's second deal is going to be that window for them where they're going to try and get as close as, in, as close as they can consistently. And then once they lock in Ajo for that final deal, which if it's eight by 10 and a half, whatever that deal might be, I think that will be when all the chips are in. I think we have to have a almost full pod discussion about this because I'd almost push back and as a sentiment that I've expressed a bunch is like, I think they're just cool 
being really good Could and, be. and playing the percentages that, hey, if we are one of the top X amount of teams enough years in a row, if we sustain our organizational depth, if we don't blow things up and basically by going all in hurt ourselves in the future, well, the, if we get eight cracks at the bat in a row, that's a higher probability of winning than condensing that down to you know two or three years in a quote unquote window. I don't think they view sports the way most traditional sports fans do. I like to think about being in winning windows and having to push it in. It seems like they're pretty resistant to that. We're going to find out in the next two years, though, because they're going to have to make some decisions because with all those contracts coming up, those guys are about to get a lot more expensive. And then you almost are forced to do it or you're going to have to make some pretty big, painful cuts. But yeah, that's a whole yeah. episode. Yeah, that's a whole another episode. And my only, my only point on that would be is that it's kind of funny how that two-year Ajo window lines up because the way they draft, and we we talk about the draft a lot, the draft is in, in hockey a very significant way to build a franchise. You have way more cost control on your players, and you're guaranteed basically to have control until they're 26. And I'm curious if they're not trying to burn the cupboard too early to save it to the point where they literally just have a plethora to where they have to trade yeah. them because they can't play them. Right. It's, it's a great point. Um, because if I, if I've, as I've mistakenly referred to it, you got to take L somewhere, but no, you got to have cost saving somewhere. So theoretically the significant draft prospects they've built up, uh, in the system, you should almost hit saturation by the end of the ne- oh, at the end of the next two years, when you quote unquote have to re-sign all these guys and your window closes, well, with the uptick in what those guys are going to make, the guys we deem core players, the way to go about that to augment yourself is to have this strong pipeline. Those guys should be getting to the league at this point, and then you should have that really nice balance between you know high end guys, established players that you're paying, and guys that have worked their way through the system. That now it's their time. It could coincide really nicely. We don't know how these guys are going to develop, but it really does look like that's a scenario that could come to fruition. Yeah, and then you're just gonna when that happens, you're gonna have you're gonna have prospects that have no shot at cracking your lineup just due to timing, and they're still gonna have NHL value because they're still good prospects. And then that's when you're making trades just because it's either you trade the guy or you lose him because at a certain point. He's going to move on regardless, right? So, well, I, I mean, these are all just opinions and speculations and who really knows uh, what management is thinking in that regard. But it, it is a, a curious topic to discuss. Absolutely. And I, I think that's this is the kind of discussions we need to have in the offseason. I think some of the most substantive conversations we have had on this entire podcast came last year when we almost talked philosophy of the organization that encouraged uh the great John Forslund to come on here and kind of debate that with us. And, you know, he was great. Um, But I think this is the time to have those conversations, uh, especially once we get through free agency, we have a better idea of what the roster is going to look like. Um, We went off in a little diatribe there, but back to JT Miller, realistic for Carolina or no? I don't think so. Uh, The price is going to be really high for JT Miller. I don't, it's not a scenario where Vancouver has to move him either. And it sounds like plenty of other teams are in on him. That just seems like someone that doesn't fit the standard MO, especially coming off the season he's coming off. 
that's typically not the kind of guy the Canes look to buy. So I don't really see it as an option for you the mean Canes. The stock market Canes don't like to buy high. Yeah. So I'm not sh- I'm not sure that it's a fit for the Canes in in terms of uh, price and willingness by the seller. So we'll see. I S- mean, same with my dream guy, uh, Patrick Line. Probably not going to happen, right? Probably not going to happen. They're desperately looking for a young defenseman. We don't really have one unless you're giving up a Scott Morrow or something like that. I don't think there's any appetite to do that. Yeah, and I don't think that Columbus is looking to trade Line A within the Metro. I mean, could be wrong, but we'd, we'd both love to have him, but I'm not sure that that's... Uh, Yarmo's a little bit of a wild card, though. I, you never know with him. Uh, hey, look, there's two guys I want to talk about here, and we texted about one of them earlier today. But the first one, uh, Pularvi from uh, Edmonton, kind of feels like the time has ran its course there. Um, we've talked about him previously as maybe a, a cheaper Nino replacement. Despite being a former fourth overall pick, I don't think this is going to cost you a ton. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, Edmonton isn't going to do what Chicago did and just move them to move them away. <laughs> so they're going to, they're, they've kind of positioned themselves. One thing, the book is a little bit more written here than it was on doc though. Yeah, sure. It's, it's a guy that has a lot of really good analytics in terms of play driving and possession and stuff along those lines. Things, things that we Canes, love here. Things that the Canes really do like. So he definitely fits the mold. You're taking a gamble on his ability to find his scoring touch. He's a player that likes Ajo and, I mean, fits the Finnish mafia mentality. It's... uh, you could get 12 fins, all right? Depend, 12 fins up front. It depends on what Edmonton wants. It, I don't think it's going to be a deal that happens early in the in the window. I don't think this is an imminent deal. I do think that he'll get moved before the start of next season. Um, but that might be a deal that happens later. Cause I don't think Ed- Edmonton's in a rush to make that trade. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to give up on him too soon. Um, obviously there's a big track record in the league of, you know, giving up on players too soon when they flourish elsewhere. I do think he's the type of guy that could come in here and do really well. Um, we, we floated him as a Nino replacement um, and I think that's the exact type of player they probably need to bring in on the cheap uh, to replace Nino because I just cannot stomach paying you know six million dollars for a third line player. Um, but maybe the antithesis in a way uh, to Pulley is uh, Dominic Kobalik, also of the Blackhawks, who was well formerly of the Blackhawks, he was non-tendered. And this is where we get into the analytics versus production slash eye test stuff. Kubelik has terrible analytics. Yeah, he's at terrible. least public analytics. Uh, pretty much everything except except one timers, one thing, <laughs> one timers and power play. He's usage. not a little guy, um, so he's he's not slight. I think he does add that. I've been calling for a long time now, but especially this offseason, on a guy that can is a shoot first that can score goals. Well, this guy's terrible analytically, has really fallen off since he's well since Jonathan Taves has fallen off. Um, but a guy that has scored 30 goals is multiple 20 goal seasons, still young. Instead of probably paying a higher cost to bring in a Pugliarvi who, despite the analytics, has never produced anything. You know, it, it's almost like KK in a way. Um, at some point, don't you take a gamble on a guy that's been there and done that and shown he can play with 
high caliber skill players and um, you know, can maybe be an asset on the power play. And it's just production does matter at a certain point. And we can use analytics to predict. And obviously the team does that to the highest of degrees. But at the end of the day, you got to have someone that can score you an easy goal. And if you can do it on the cheapest of cheap, I mean, he's got to be about as cheap as a young 30 goal scorer is ever going to be on the open market in my estimation. Why? Tell me why that's a bad move. I just think he's a totally one dimensional player. I don't think that you're really utilizing him. Like it changes how you roll your lines because Rod's not going to be putting that guy out with like significant defensive duties. So he's not going to be playing on a stall and Foss line. Are you burying him on your fourth line? Because then you're talking about no, because we're wasting. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're talking about getting very little like ice time production time, anyways, and. The reality is, like, it's great to be able to find the back of the net. But if you're a player that has difficulty doing all the other things that it required to get to the back of the net, I don't... The value there is a lot less than the value of being able to do everything else and you haven't found your scoring touch yet. Because it's... The argument uh, with Paul Javari is that could he be the next Nachuskin, a guy that just signed an eight-year, six-plus-million-dollar deal because he finally took that next step? Um, right. So it's it's one of those ones where you have a guy that could end up being a top-six guy, and you have a guy that is going to be a power play, uh, bottom six, probably just fourth line forward. So I, I agree. I, I think it's more of like a theoretical discussion because Kubelik's not going to be the player that they bring in. Uh more likely than not. Um, but two things I, I will say is one, you kind of get it similar to playing with 74. You get a bump playing with 11. Like Nino was never analytically a great defensive player. And then all of a sudden the defensive metrics look a heck of a lot better the past year and a half, two years. More Nino talk, a guy that wasn't producing, couldn't score, didn't have good analytics comes here and sets the world on fire because at that point, he was pretty much shoot first and had a bigger body. Like a lot of similar eye test things to a Kubelik. Now, Kubelik doesn't have the you know top five overall pedigree like a Pugliarvi or a Nino does, but I don't know. You got to interject some production into this lineup, and there's something to be said for having been there and done that. Um, Kubelik's not the guy I'm going to plant my flag on and the hill I'm going to die on, but um, I just think it, in a more theoretical way, like at some point you're going to get some of these wrong and they have gotten the wrong. I think they got KK wrong. Now I think that deal is going to age well, but they expected more. Um, we'll see. I, I think you can cover up a lot of warts by playing with 11 or 74 defensively. Um, and I think this structure and environment makes guys be, um, you know, better on both ends. Yeah. And I just don't think that you want, to be like adding a goal scorer as your cheap player i think you want to add the next guy we'll talk about maybe uh vlad tarasenko as your goal replacement kind of guy because the reality is is that you want your bottom six guys to do all the other stuff and if they can supplement scoring great but they have to be responsible players because you, know, you can lose a lot of games right. but when you have players that can't play the defensive role 
And even I understand playing with Stahl and Fast gives you a massive advantage on your defensive metrics and everything along those lines. But I st- I don't think that Kubalik is a guy that's going to step in, play with those two, and all of a sudden right. be a, a good defensive like player. I, said, I, I don't think he's the guy. Sure. Uh, one thing I did kind of float to you earlier is let's just make the math really easy and say we have $10 million to spend. Um, really like Tro, like Nino. At the point in where they're at now, though, if I had $10 million to spend, I'm not spending five and five on those two guys. I'm going to go spend seven on Tarasenko and find seven or eight on a player of a higher caliber and find a way to fill that Nino role, the guy that can play with Stahl and Faust, not Kubelik, but on the cheap. And so all of a sudden, that's how I'm appropriating my assets to build a higher uh, ceiling team and augmenting at the bottom with my extreme organizational depth. It's always easier to find players that can play these lower roles because there's just more of them. So that's kind of where I'm at with a Vlad Tarasenko. I obviously can't Carolina has been in on him on and off for a very long time. The deals never uh, come to a head, but he's the type of player they need to be looking to add. So we're talking high end scorer. Uh, right shot, power play moving, or power play quarterback, puck mover defensively. Those are two pretty big yeah. asks this offseason, and it feels like that's going to come through the trade market. And I already made my big statement that I don't think it's going to be any of the rumored deals. So maybe yeah. that takes Tarasenko off the board in my mind. But he makes so much sense to me. Yeah, and I, I just think they should have listened last year and, and done it. That They could have got him cheaper last year. I know there was more risk involved with the injury, but they missed out massively not making that trade last year. I think that it's a con- like a contract that you could potentially get a little bit of salary retained and not have to pay that much to do it since there's only one year left on it. Um, and I think that immediately improves your top six even if you don't bring back Trocek, even if you don't bring back Nino, if you're able to go Svech, Ajo, Turbo, Turbo, Tarasenko, two center to be determined, Jarvis, that two center could be KK. Um, they could add another player there potentially, depending on what they choose to do uh, at the other positions, um, filling in Nino's spot and filling in uh, Tony's spot. So I think... I think priority number one ultimately from the organization is going to be that defenseman number one, that sure. guy that plays with Slavin. And I think right after that, you have to really uh, aggressively go after a guy like Tarasenko. Yeah, I feel like we might get the old uh, up front, we like our group mindset. Um, but I think the biggest indicator that they're going to prioritize Slavin's part, let's call it Slavin's partner, um, was when the rumored price for Natchez came out and it was a young top line type developmental or developing right shot defenseman. It's like, okay, we thought it right was a little bit of posturing with Tony. Clearly it wasn't that that's something they really want. Uh, They want to lock that position down for, you know, the extended future. Um, Yeah. I think you've got your priorities aligned for what Carolina is looking to do here in the next, you know, day to two weeks yeah i don't expect any movement anytime soon uh window opens up tomorrow it'll be probably today wednesday 
being right, Wednesday when, you listen to this. when you're listening. So I hope it opens at noon, I believe. Um, I will be absolutely shocked if anything happens with Carolina tomorrow as far yeah. as signing a free agent. Absolutely. I don't Could think a trade happens, sure. But if they sign anyone tomorrow, I will be absolutely floored. I think this is a team that's going to wait and kind of see how the cookie crumbles a little bit and go from there. It, what do they excel with? Like, how have they done their best work in acquiring talent? Yeah, taking depreciated assets. Yeah. That doesn't happen on day one. Day yeah. one, it's the highest price because people have the most money. Um, and, you know, they, they really, as good as they've done, they have struggled in free agency. You know, you absolutely no no one's loving the jake gardner deal um calvin dehan was moved after one year because they found out they viewed him as a third pairing guy and they didn't want to pay him four plus i had the shoulder injury as well um there's been some moves they don't do it a lot um but when they have done it they've struggled they're much better uh at naturally acquiring talent through the draft via trade uh just buying low on assets and tomorrow day one day two of free agency you're not buying low um so maybe by next time we check in with the, with the fans uh we'll have something to report that we might nice. still be speculating that would be nice we'll at least be able to cross some names off the list and have a better idea of what's out there and what the prices are so at least next week we should hopefully have a better feeling of where things could be moving and who knows maybe we'll see something happen but uh at this point I don't think there is a strong likelihood that a nature deal gets done fast. I think that one's going to drag out um, and maybe he gets moved. I think we have a lot to watch. So should be should be an interesting next month, honestly. As always, it's um, it's fun to follow. I mean, if, if nothing else, the, the unpredictability of this front office um, is entertaining, even if it is head scratching um, and infuriating. Uh, at times because it's hard to understand as fans, as prognosticators, it just doesn't make sense. Like, and clearly they operate or they have traditionally, and we've, they've earned this that, Hey, they operate, they have a macro vision for what they want to accomplish. They're not going to play by your rules. They're going to play by theirs. They're going to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And if that's a 12 step plan and we're here on step two, that can be really, you know, nauseating. It, exact same thing happened last offseason. I'm over here behind the mic, you know, fire and brimstone. It's it's all a loss. They're gonna be worse next year. Damned if they weren't better. So, uh, in Don we trust. Turtleneck time coming up. In Rod we in Rod we trust. Uh, always. Just gotta say, I still can't believe you wasn't voted in the Hall of Fame. But hey, Mike, we did it. No no glaring mistakes. Uh, editing should go pretty easy. One take. Everyone knows the rules. I don't think that's copyrighted by uh, Barcelona. <laughs> I'm going to go turn. <laughs> Good work tonight, buddy. Yep. Until next week, I'm going to go turn this thing off now. Oh, geez. Can't believe we went Barstool.